encourage you to do that. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, if you will. Exodus chapter 25. We're continuing our tabernacle series. Um, today, I want to talk about something uh, specific, the golden lampstand. But before we even get there, can I just, in, in, um, just take a quick rabbit trail? Because I couldn't get away from this as, as we're thinking. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. Preaching Exodus chapter 25 through 40, which is pretty much what we're talking about, the tabernacle worship, preaching that passage has really made me want to go back and preach Exodus chapter 1 to 25. I mean, 25 to 40 is kind of what we're focused on right now. And the more I preach on that, the more I'm like, but I got to go back. And then I want to go back into Genesis and go even the end of Genesis. And I don't know if we'll ever get there. But, here, but I'm just, I'm, I, I, I want to talk to you just for a second, um, a, a little rabbit trail, and then I'll bring it back to where we're at. But if you think with me to Exodus chapter, um, even chapter 1, we know this. God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved. Why were they enslaved? Well, you got to go back to the end of Genesis and read chapter 1 then of Exodus to really understand that. I'm going to let you do that. Connect the dots on your own. Someday maybe I'll preach on that. But the fact of the matter is God's people were enslaved for 400 years. And God, God stepped in and was like, well, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. I think we've got that on the screen. Can you throw that up there? I might be going out of the order here. But then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So God says, uh, uh, once, once he's bringing them out of slavery um, and bringing them out of, out, of, out of Egypt, he says, I want to dwell among them. And how did he do that? He did that. He dwelled. Um, he, dwelled. <laughs> he, 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 he was among them. Through their worship through the tabernacle. Let me explain. Let me ask you a question. Just follow me here. When I say worship, what's the first thing you think of? It's rhetorical. You don't have to shout it. But um, when I say worship, what do you think of? Do you, do you know, many of us might think what we just did for about a half an hour there. Well, worship is that section of the church service where, where you spend time singing your worship to God and whatever. That's worship. And, or you might think, well, when I think of worship, I think of of this worship band or my favorite worship playlist on Spotify or whatever it may be. You think that's worship, right? That's worship. Well, I just want to encourage you, just expand that definition. In fact, don't just expand it. Let's go to the Bible and let the Bible. Do you know when God thinks of worship, you know what I'm convinced he thinks of? Sacrifice. When God thinks of worship, he thinks of sacrifice. What are you saying? Well, just think about, do you remember um, when Abraham and Isaac were going up Mount Moriah? And, and they were going to worship the Lord. It was, it was going to be a, uh, we, we talked about this um, a few weeks ago, the different kinds of sacrifices. And this, is, this was going to be a burnt offering. So like everything on this sacrifice that, that they were going to make unto the Lord was going to get completely charred, all right? This thing's going to go completely up. And so as they're, as they're going up there, we can see this in Genesis chapter 22. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. What does he say? We will worship. And then we'll come back to you. And we know that what eventually happened is there was a ram in the thicket, and they did. They took that, and they put it on the sacrifice. They built an altar of sacrifice, and they offered that ram as worship unto the God. Un, un, unto not the God, unto God. 
What's your point? Well, you don't see Isaac saying, hey, Dad, did you happen to bring the Bluetooth speaker with you? No, son, you forgot to plug it in, so it's not charged. But uh. No, you, you say, Dad, have you got your favorite Spotify worship playlist that you got all your favorites on? I just love that new one from Hillsong, or I love that one from this band or that band. <clears throat> no. But what did they have? They had the, the, the stuff made for sacrifice. And so um, uh, they're going to go and worship God. How are they going to worship God? Through the sacrifice. When you go now, the people of, <clears throat> of Israel, God's people, 400 years in, out, out of slavery, what, what did, what did, when Moses stood up to Pharaoh, what did he say? God says, hey, Pharaoh, listen. God says, let my people go that they might worship me. How is that worship going to happen? That's what we're talking about with the tabernacle. How was it going to happen? It was going to happen by, in fact, can you bring up the picture of that, of, of the full tabernacle? This is exactly, just, just keep following me. I know there's a lot of words on there, and you're going to want to read them all, but just don't read any of them, okay? Um, but you go to the altar. As soon as you enter the gates, with thanksgiving your heart, you enter his courts with praise. As soon as you enter the gates, you, there's that altar. And that altar of sacrifice, I, I shared on this a couple weeks ago, and this is where the sacrifice was made for your worship, for your sin, as well as for your worship. It was, it, it was through that sacrifice, that worship. When we think of worship, we think of a half hour in Sunday morning. We think of our latest and greatest worship song that we might hear on the radio or we might play on our, on our playlist. But when God thinks of worship, what he thinks of is, is sacrifice. So can I just encourage you, let's change the way we look at worship and see it through God's lens because even New Testament worship then is everything we do, everything, everything I do, I do it as unto the Lord. Everything I do is worship. As I parent, that's worship unto the Lord. As I work, that's my work is worship unto the Lord. As I'm out in the community um, ministering to others, touching others, sharing the gospel, that's worship. In fact, for us in the New Testament, we can go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? And that's where we see Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. What's that mean? And, and, and holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of what? You see, what worship really is, when God sees worship, when God thinks of worship, he thinks of sacrifice. When God thinks of worship, he thinks of a life that he's not asking us to lay our lives down now, in a sense, on the, on the brazen altar so that we can be burned up. <laughs> no, it's a what? It's a living sacrifice. And so as we're, as we're a living sacrifice, uh, Jesus Christ once and for all paid the price, right? If you're new to uh, the, the whole idea of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the, and the way things were back then, just know this. <clears throat> when we talk about that ram that was sacrificed on that altar, <clears throat> why was that Jesus that, that's speaking to what Jesus was going to do for us in the New Testament. So the precious Lamb of God died once and for all. We sang about it today. On the cross, he took care of all of our sin, all of our yuck. He took care of all that. He rose again. He's victorious. Praise God for that. So he took care of the sacrifice. But we're still called to be what? A living sacrifice for him. 
And so as, as we think about this, uh, let's just, I, 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 that was so just hot in my heart. I just felt like for some reason we needed to hit that. So, so God dwelling among his people through his tabernacle as they start their journey to the promised land, a journey that would take them 40 years. They're coming out, stands up to Pharaoh, Moses, let my people go that they might worship me. And they're, they're, they're traveling now through the, 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 the wilderness, the desert wilderness, and they're traveling through, setting up camp here, there, and God says, build me a tabernacle that I might dwell among you. I want to be with you. I want this worship to come, but the only way real true worship's going to come is through a sacrifice, and we've seen that. And so as you enter the gates, as we go back to the picture of the tabernacle again, you go into that outer court. We talked about the brazen altar a couple weeks ago. We talked about the brazen laver. Uh, and that laver is where the priests would come and they'd wash their hands and they'd wash their feet. But last week we stepped into the tent. Only the priests could enter here. In fact, as we zoom in on that tent, this, the, the only people that could step inside of this tent were the priests and, the, and, and people who were called to that priesthood. And um, if you get nervous and you're like, we shouldn't go here, Scott, let me just remind you what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. So now in the New Testament, because of what Jesus Christ did for us and because we've applied the blood of Jesus Christ onto our hearts and onto our lives, we can now go into that holy place. We can now go into the most holy place. Oh, I don't want to give away my Easter message, but that's where we're headed. Last week, we talked about the table of showbread or shoebread. I know it's a funny name, but it's bread. And there are 12 stacks of bread, uh, excuse me, 12, 12 pieces of bread stacked in two piles on that table. As you, as you walk, go back to that, that tent, will you? As you walked in here, you see to the right, there's, there's where the two stacks of, of bread were. It's, it's actually, that's the north side. And as you walk into that tent on the left side, it, it might not be, uh, um, uh, that's a little bit bigger. <laughs> the art, artistic rendition here might not be perfectly biblical, but just you get the idea here. On the left-hand side is where you get what we want to talk about today. You, you get the, the golden lampstand. You, you get what we might call, it's time to talk about the menorah here, it, the golden lampstand. The solid gold lampstand stood on the south side of the holy place, opposite the table of shewbread. The lampstand was not built to burn candles, though, because candles were not invented until Roman times. So this, this, candle, this lampstand was built to burn oil. Now, there's so many things we could talk about when we, when we, when we start to talk about um, the, the golden lampstand. But before we, we get any further, let's just read it in Scripture. Are you there yet? Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, verse 31. It says this, Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the side of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on the one branch. Three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. 
The buds and the branches shall all be of the one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers, its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Man, we could, we could spend the rest of our morning talking about the intricate little details and whatever. Um, but let me just toss real quick, and, and then we'll keep moving here. A couple, couple things of note. Um, this lampstand, along with the tools mentioned, it says it weighed one talent. Verse 39 says it weighed one talent. How many know, um, uh, for, for most of us, we probably don't know how much a talent weighs, unless you read those little notes in your Bible, which I did. And, uh, and hopefully you do it at times too. And so it's about 75 pounds. So when you think of this, this golden lampstand, this is no lampstand, but um, you think if this is the golden lampstand, I mean, I, I think of myself, when I think of pounds, like how much something weighs, I think to myself in, in terms of bags of salt for the water softener. So those are about 40 pounds, uh, I think, somewhere in that area. I don't know. So let's say that's 40 pounds and and it's 75 pounds, so two bags of salt. Well, I mean, two, even two bags of salt, that's, that's, that's not two bags of salt. Now, sure, um, the, the little things, the, the wick trimmers, they say, and the other stuff were built out of this same thing of gold. But this was a chunk of gold that was about 75 pounds. This is no just flimsy little, you can't just push this lampstand over. This thing is there. It's, it's there with, with some strength and with some power. This, this wasn't just a, and it's all gold. Man, how in the world they form this with all the little intricate details and stuff, all from one piece of gold. It's crafted from one piece of gold. I, I don't want to make much of it, but how this lampstand was hammered, verse 36 says, out of one piece of gold is beyond me. But I think it is interesting that it uses that terminology and that thought of it being hammered. Because we all know there was another one that was hammered to a tree in order for him to fulfill the purpose God the Father had put him here on earth to fulfill. In fact, even the crushing, the beating that our Lord took, I think we can see even in, in, in um, it, we're not going to read it, but in Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, it says, the oil used was to be clear oil of beaten olive. It was olive oil. They were to beat these olives, take that oil, and that was the oil to be put in this lampstand. Just a few more things, and then we're going to move on. But just follow me here. Scripture says its base supports a shaft, and that held six branches, three on each side, with one lamp atop each branch and one atop the shaft for a total of seven lamps. It, it was made themselves, even though every piece made of gold, um, the lamps were shaped into cups or bulbs and, and flowers designated to resemble the flowers of an almond tree. Although the exact appearance of the lampstand lamp is not 100% clear, but the purpose and the basic design is plain. And now in some way, the oil was poured into a reservoir some way on each branch, and in, e in turn, each reservoir fed another cup that held the burning oil. Now the Bible says each morning and evening, someone serviced these lamps. Some suggest that each branch or each cup had wicks that would draw the oil up into it and would need trimming. Did you ever have one of those oil lamps where you had oil in the bottom and the wick would just draw it up? And, and, and it would make sense in the NIV when you read they, they created a wick trimmer. Um, then some scholars say actually wicking is, um, let me read this directly. Uh, others suggest trimming is not the right word for the service since these were not candles. 
The, the term trims means to cause to ascend. So I don't know if we need to stand up here and debate. Did it have a wick of some kind that drew the oil up into that wick? Or did it just have a way of drawing the oil to the top and they just lit that oil somehow, some way? We don't know exactly, no. But what we do know is these things were kept burning continually from evening until morning, according to Exodus 27, 21. So let me state the obvious. When you walk into this tent, can you take me back to the tent, the inside of that tent? Very good, thank you. When you walk into that tent, one thing you'll notice, and when you look at the bigger picture of it, there's no windows in that tent. So why was the lampstand need in there? Let me state the obvious. Same reason we have these lights in here. It's to light up the darkness it's so that you can see what's going on. So the priest would go on and take care, go in and take care of the things that they needed to do as part of their worship. It would be lit up and they could see what to do. But now this is more what we're talking about here today and in this series. For the New Testament believer, I've said this a million times, let me say it again. Anytime you read the Old Testament, you should always read it with the New Testament in mind. So as you read the Old Testament, and you read about the golden candlestick, what could this be pointing to? Oh, I know the oil. I mean, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, typically, oil is, is a representation of the Holy Spirit and all that means. But I don't necessarily want to go there because I really want to just talk, each week we talk more about how does this point to Jesus? How does the golden lampstand, what does it say about Jesus in the gospel? Now, this is where it gets interesting, the idea of light. Oh, we're going to go on another rabbit trail. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Can you go there with me? I know some of you might need to jab your neighbor, make sure they're awake. Because I, I want to go back, because there's something about light that I want us to see at the very beginning. And I want you to debate this over the dinner table tonight, the lunch table today. Um, debate this with your friends, your neighbors, even your enemies, if you'd like. Let's can, just think about light for a second. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, look. And God said, let there be light. Okay. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Hmm. So here's the question. That last part. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is all on the first day. So here's the question. How could there be light on the first day of creation when the sun was not created until the fourth day? Some of you are getting ahead of me. Come on, you got to let me preach. I, I, you're ruining my message. No, I'm just joking. Well, let's go to verse 14. Same chapter. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. What's he talking about there? The greater light to govern the day, sun, lesser light to govern the night. That's called the moon. He also made the stars. Keep going. <clears throat> God sent the, set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So the sun didn't come around to the fourth day. So what was lighting things up? Some of you already got ahead of me. How can this be? How could there be light mornings and evenings on the first, second, and third day if the sun and the moon wasn't created to the fourth day? Are you following me here? Are you following the debate here? This is what I want you to talk about over dinner today. 
This is the only problem. This is only a problem if we fail to recognize the omnipotence and the infinite of our God. <laughs> the infinite, is that a word? He is infinite. He is all-powerful. He, was, he, he, is all, he can do things. He can do whatever he wants to do, so we understand that. But God doesn't need the sun. He doesn't need the sun or the moon and the stars to provide light. I like how we were debating this amongst our family and just having discussion on it. And um, someone, I think it was my wife, Megan, said how, how God gave structure to the light with the sun. And the, but the light was already there because we see in 1 John 1, 5, this is a message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God himself was the light for the first three days of creation, just as he will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation um, verse 22, look at this. There will be no more night this is a new heavens, new earth. Jesus Christ has come. He's taken us up to be with him. There's been the seven years of tribulation, and there's a millennial reign of Christ, and, it's all, and now it's the new heavens and the new earth. If you've ever seen my chart, I'm talking all the way over here to the right. It's the new heavens and new earth, and what does Scripture say about that? There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp. Or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. What's your point, Scott? I just want you to get something. God is light. He is light. And as, as, as we um, go back to the picture of the holy place with that, that cutout, the, the smaller one, the, the tent, until he created the sun, moon, and stars, God miraculously provided light during the day. And, and, and this easily leads us into a discussion of what, 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 how would this candlestick um, and, and this, this golden uh, uh, lampstand, how, how would, uh, excuse me, I shouldn't say candlestick, how would this golden lampstand, how would this point to Jesus? I think it easily, I mean, just like when you look at the table of, in the bread, I mean, it's pretty easy to say, how does this represent Jesus? Uh, he said it himself, he's the bread of life. You go over here to the south side of the tent, and here's the golden lampstand, all beautiful and everything. Uh, how, how does this point us to Jesus? Well, Jesus said himself, Genesis declared, and you get into the New Testament, Jesus declares himself as what? The light of the world. And that's, all, that, that, that's what I want, I want you to get today. Is that as we, as we study the tabernacle, as we see this, this golden lamp, we see that Jesus declares himself. John said this in the Gospel of John. Look at it. John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light, who is Jesus. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John 8, 12. Look, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can I talk to you about that passage just for a second? You can read later on about John chapter 7 and, and chapter 8. And I encourage you to do that, maybe tomorrow in your devotions. Read John chapter 7 and 8 and see this. This dialogue is going on that Jesus is having with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem during a certain feast. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And as part of the, the ritual, if you will, during this feast, follow me here, water was poured over a rock in commemoration of what? In commemoration of the water supply that had gushed from the rocks in the wilderness that we read about in the Old Testament. So as part of this feast, 
In, 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 in the temple, they, they, would, they would pour water over these rocks commem- commemorating that. And as part of this as well, do you remember, how did God show himself in the tabernacle? Um, how did God, as, as the tabernacle was built and put right in the, in the middle of them all, at night it was what? It was a fire by night and a cloud by day, right? And so to commemorate that, this is, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, in Jesus' time, whenever the Feast of Tabernacles would come around, in, the, in, the, in the, one of the temple courts, there was this, um, uh, there was this huge lamps that they would, they would light, and they'd light these in commemoration of that pillar of fire that led the Israelites in their wilderness journey. So they got the water, how God brought water out of the rock. If you've never heard that, those miraculous stories, you need to read your Old Testament. And, and then the fire. So you got these. And so what is Jesus saying right in the midst of this? He's saying, I am I'm the, I'm the water. I'm, I, 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 Jesus, the, the light from those lamps lit up much of Jerusalem. It was so bright. So in the context of these two rituals, Jesus presented himself as what? As the living water and also as the light of the world. So first, first just get this. When, it, when you read scripture, you should always read it in context. What's happening? So as you read in the context of John 7 and John 8, you see that this, this Feast of Tabernacles and what would have been happening is they would have, they would have done these things in the temple areas. And so now Jesus is saying, you know that water that we've poured out on all these rocks to commemorate? I'm living water. You know that fire that we lit as part of the Feast of Tabernacles? You know how that just, it lights up the whole uh, city of Jerusalem, and you can see it wherever you're at in Jerusalem. It's just huge. You can't miss it. I'm the light of the world. Jesus is using those as illustrations to help them see this. And in declaring himself to be the light, Jesus was really claiming his divinity. And Jesus, let's remember, is not merely a light, but he is the light light the only true light and as the light jesus illuminates truth there's no lying in him we are on the converse the devil right the devil his his the, the, his native language is what lying the bible comes right out and says that but god cannot lie and he re- reveals us um uh, um through 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 uh the idea of him being the light just contemplate think on that Donald Stamps, I went to college with his son, um, but he wrote the commentary for the Fire Bible or the Full Life Study Bible, but here's, here's, what, here's what he said. I thought this was good. Just read this with me. Um, just follow along. Jesus is the true, complete revelation of God's light. So when Jesus came, he's like, God was light, and we know all the way back from Genesis, God is light, and so we just keep going with that. He removes spiritual darkness and deception by shining his light upon the right path to God and by revealing the opportunity for spiritual salvation through faith in Jesus. Keep going. Number one, all those who accept Jesus' forgiveness, abandon their way of life and follow Jesus, are freed from the darkness of sin, the world, and Satan. Those who do not follow Jesus are choosing to remain in spiritual darkness. Stop right there. Don't, can you go back to one? So just the basics, what this is saying is, um, before I got saved, before I gave my life to Christ, the, the appropriate way of looking at it is I'm living in darkness. But the moment I repent of my sins and I give my life to Christ, I'm what? I'm living in the light. I know for some of you this is just 
I already knew that, but I just want to clarify that. And so the second thing he points out then is this. Thank you. Whoever follows me is a present participle, indicating a continuing action. Whoever keeps on following me, meaning it's not just I raised my hand for salvation. It's not just a one-time prayer, but I'm continuing to follow Christ. True Christian discipleship, i.e. following and becoming like Jesus, must be a way of life that we take on. Man, I thought that was good. All of that is pretty powerful. So just let me, let me just kind of start landing this message. So thinking back to the golden lampstand in the tabernacle, I, I just, just one little piece. Do, do you remember me saying it had to be tended? Someone had to go and had to trim the wicks or whatever that meant. <laughs> in Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, it says it again like this. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives. Who was going to press those olives? Somebody had to do that. Who was going to prepare that oil? Someone had to do that. They had to tend this, so that lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons, as the priests, are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord. So they're to keep these things going from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. So until Jesus came and died on the cross and, and he fulfilled all that the temple, um, and the tabernacle, then the temple was, was, was meant to be, until that happened, priests had to regularly go and, and they had to tend the, the light and tend the golden lampstand. So if this light was to shine and accomplish the purpose intended for it, it needed to be tended to. Let me share a really simple plan for you to tend the light of Christ in your life. How do, how do I tend the light of Jesus Christ in my life? How, how do I... How do I make sure that the, the light and the love of Jesus Christ is alive in me? In fact, in the back of your seats, there's some notes. There's no fill in the blanks, but if you'd like to draw some pictures and, and help you focus, that's, that'd be great, but, or circle things or whatever. But the first thing is this. How, how, can I, how can I have that move of God in my life? How can I tend? Just like the, the priests would go into that tabernacle and they would pour more oil in there and get the, make sure the things are lit and, and snuff them out, however that would look, just like they would tend to the candles, or excuse me, the, 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 the lampstand, how they would tend to that. How can I tend to the light of Christ in my life? Um, how can I keep the move of God moving in my life? Let me just toss out, this is gonna be the most basic thing that you could probably get up and share as well. But we've shared this before. Let me just tell you, it's really simple. First thing is this. Can I just encourage you, regularly connect with other believers. I don't wanna over-spiritualize this, but um, uh, the importance of gathering weekly with other believers, you can't underestimate that. And that's why Jesus, uh, oh, excuse me, that's why the New Testament points and tells us, don't give up meeting with one another because we need each other. This weekly gathering, and one of the things that I heard all throughout the, 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 um, uh, the whole pandemic and all that kind of stuff, I'm just going to pick on it for a second. Well, bless God, the church is in the building, and, and we can still be the church. I understand the, the sentiment, but I'm telling you, let's not... Let's not lose the idea, though, and if anyone's watching online and you haven't been back in person with us, can I just encourage you? We need this. We need what you bring to this church, to this gathering, what, your words of encouragement to one another, your blessing one another, and you need this. 
Uh, there's something about me spending time with the Lord, just me and Jesus in worship. But it's a, it's a different dynamic, a corporate anointing that comes when all of us together are worshiping together. We're praying together. There's something unique. God created us to need one another. And we need to gather regularly. How can I, how can I make sure that the, 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 the light of Christ is alive inside of me? Second thing is this. Is we call it PR, personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility for your faith. How? Well, let's just use PR, prayer and reading. Let me just encourage you. Develop a, a time of prayer. You say, Scott, I'm not good at that prayer thing. I start praying and then I start sleeping really quick. <laughs> I start praying and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about my, my grocery list or I'm thinking about what I gotta do today at work. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this assignment at school. I, just, I start, I wanna pray, but I just, when I start praying, I end up, I just encourage you, join the club. <laughs> There's very few people that are really disciplined in this area of prayer, but the blessing of it is, is, that, is that God wants all of us, and, and if we can just get on this conversation, you've heard me say this before, but take the phone off the hook and leave it off the hook. Some of you, that illustration is kind of, but um, imagine uh, dialing on your, your phone and just never hanging up. That's the, that's the, 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 just never hang up with God. It's like throughout your day, oh yeah, Lord, I give that to you. God, would you help me with this? God, I'm getting ready to go in this meeting. God, I'm getting ready to have this. God, I don't know what to do about this email, or I don't know what to do with this situation. Whatever the situation is before you, just have, continue that conversation throughout your day. Yes, take some time in your day. Focus and say, this, I'm going to set this time aside. Just like I would, if I had a really good friend and I would talk to them on a regular basis, hopefully it's your, your spouse on a daily basis or, or pretty regularly, you're, you're having conversation with your spouse. Think of it that way. On a, on a regular daily basis, I'm gonna have a regular conversation with the Lord. And the more you get comfortable with just pouring your heart out to God, talking to him, the more you're gonna begin to discern his voice as he speaks back to you. The R, read. Read scripture. Scott, every time I read the Bible, I don't get a whole lot out of it. Well, maybe it's because you're reading for the wrong reason. Maybe you're reading just to check it off. It's a good Christian duty. But can I just encourage you? Read the scripture to get something. And if you're, you start reading something and, and, you, and God speaks to you out of something, I give you permission. Stop there. There have been times I've been reading 1 Peter and 2 Peter, thinking about the idea of preaching through those books of the Bible, maybe here soon. And, and so I've been reading, studying, just going through them. And man, there's been several times I couldn't finish the chapter. I got to this part about being humble. And the Lord so convicted me about some things. I was like, God, help me. And here I am telling you about how God's telling me to be humble and I'm trying to respond. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I, there's things that as I'm studying the Bible, it's, I'm like, okay, what's, so as you're reading the Bible, read, read and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And take just one little piece out of that chapter or a couple of chapters, whatever it is you read, take that and apply it. And say, God, today I just, um, uh, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave, whoa, God, you love me that much. Maybe you'll stop right there. You're not getting any further. And then instead of even making it a prayer all week, just all week just say, God, thank you for your love, that you love me so much. I thank you that you love me. Or, or maybe it's, it's, a, it's another verse of scripture. I'm just, I mean, I could throw out all kinds of different scriptures. Just grab something and apply it. Live on it. PR, per, take personal responsibility. If you, if you would commit to being at, at the gathering of believers Every, I'm, I'm not saying that you're a complete sinner if you miss a couple Sundays, okay? 
But I'm saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that weekly gathering is a priority. We're never going to have the conversation Saturday night. Are we going to church tomorrow? Like, just take that whole phrase, just throw it up. Just throw it out of your mouth. That's never even a conversation. Of course we're going to church Sunday morning. Of course we're going to gather with other believers. We're going to gather with others even eventually as we, as we kick off our life groups this fall. Let's keep going. Personal responsibility. Third thing is this. You've got to have some outflow. Serve. Serve. We're, let me say something that I, I hope ruffles your feathers. Some of us, many of us, are educated beyond our level of obedience. Listen. Oh, listen. I would never tell someone, don't study the Bible so much. I would never tell anyone that. But what, what I might say is, is if your level of Bible studies here and your level, level of serving others, serving here in the local church and serving others outside of the local church isn't at that same level, something's off level. <laughs> your bubble ain't in the middle. <laughs> Some of us, we're educated. We're like chubby little babies, you know, got the big old cheeks and feed me more, you know, crying, saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we, are we living it out? Serving others. Serving, are you plugged in here at this local church? Are you serving somewhere? Are you giving out? Some of you, you struggle with depression. And I, I'm reading a book right now, and I'm just kind of processing this whole idea of, of how so many people have anxiety, and they're depressed. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sliding that, but all I'm saying is some of us, one of the things that I pulled from the book already is, We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. I know it's easy for me to say, but we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. When all we see is ourselves, it's real easy to get into that Eeyore complex of, thanks for noticing. You know, that Eeyore just kind of just like, focus on me, 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 me. Let's give. You find yourself, you find yourself um, uh, struggling to have joy. Could I, could I just encourage you? Um, check out the food pantry here in Middlebury or, or uh, another place over in Elkhart or Goshen. We can point you to some places where you can serve outside of the church. Serve here in the church. Serve outside. Have some outflow is what I'm saying. I, you, you test me on this. I'm not God by any means. He, he's one that says stuff like that. But let me just say, if every person in this church would commit to being here on a regular basis, connecting with other believers, um, personal responsibility for your faith, and the third thing is to serve I'm telling you, this is what all in is all about. Being all in. They devoted themselves. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. They were all in in what? The apostles' doctrine and prayer and fellowship. And the ministry that you see happening throughout that chapter in Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going as a church. So when you let the light of Christ shine on you, um, these are are ways that you can tend that light of Christ if this, if this were the candlestick, or excuse me, the lampstand, I keep saying that. <clears throat> but if, if this was, and they'd go in there and they have to trim whatever they did and put more oil in or whatever it was, whoever's stand this is, is going to be very spiritual. We're, we're adding oil. And <clears throat> they would do all, they would tend that. As I was preparing my message, I just thought, it just, just popped in my mind, how can we tend that light of Jesus in our lives? I think these are ways that we can tend to that. And then what's the result? What, what are further actions that we could do? Worship team, would you come? Look on the screen, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just talk through this quick. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
You know what? First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, these are people that don't know Christ, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What a challenge. Is that people that don't know Christ, when they're around you, that we would live such good lives that they would accuse, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're gonna see your good deeds and be like, nah, I know this ain't true. I don't use the word ain't very often, but I just did then. Trying to prove a point. This, this isn't true. Because the, the holiness of God, that is, is, the spirit of God so fills us. Making the most of every opportunity. Okay, let's keep going. Um, so uh, get back to, yeah, there we go. For, for you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So we are to live as children of light. The light of God in our lives. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Spend time in his word. Spend time in his presence. Find out what pleases him. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. In fact, rather expose those things, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Don't fool around with the sin of the world. Don't even get excited or, or I don't even want to hear about it. I'm just sick of it. Is anyone else just sick of almost daily hearing of, of the degradation in our, in, our, in our society? People who are, are look, I don't have to say, but, but people who are, 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 are even changing the, the very names, man and woman, and redefining what that means. Of course, it started even back redefining what marriage is. I mean, there's all kinds of, of things. And, and they're walking away from just, not just uh, societal norms, but biblical absolutes. And it breaks our heart. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is a light that makes everything visible. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Let me ask you something. Has the light, have you allowed the light of Christ to shine on every area of your life today? Is there any area that you're like, God, you can have all of me except this one area. My relationship with this person or that, you're not really, I'm not really open to a whole lot of change there. Or the way that um, I carry myself here, the way that I do that. Uh, is, there, is there any area where the, you haven't allowed the light of Christ to shine? Because here's the deal. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. That's why we have flashlights. How many glad for a flashlight? How many glad that God put a flashlight on your cell phone? Did he do that? No, iPhone did. But here's, I'm, how many times are you glad that you have a flashlight? Because when you turn that flashlight on, all of a sudden you can see especially if your eyes are getting old like mine. I mean, you can kind of read it, put a light on there. It's like, whoa, I can really see that now. Hallelujah. It's a a miracle. But when the light of Christ shines on something and it, it shows it, for it's the light that makes everything visible, this is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is Isaiah 60. Look at it. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Be careful then. Verse 15, Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
So let the light of Christ show you the wise way to live. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do I find the will of God? Start right here in the, in the Word of God. Start right here. Pray, seek the Lord, accomplish His will in every situation. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question here is really, what controls your life? Follow me here. Let His light shine on you and get you out of the way so that you can be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. How many would like that? You're like, man, I'd love if the Holy Spirit had a little more control of my mouth. I'd love if the Holy Spirit had a little more control of my thoughts. I'd love if the Holy Spirit had a little control of my actions, a little more control. Let the light of Christ shine on us and show you the darkness and the yuck of our sin. Don't get drunk on wine. It's really a control thing. Because when you get drunk, and let's take this literally. Listen, if you're someone, um, verse one, you don't have to, or verse eight, you don't have to go there, but, but you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You were once those who would like look forward to the weekend, grab the 24 pack of whatever your thing is, and just start down. And that weekend was party time, getting drunk. That was, that was what you did. And it, and, and it would control you. When you're drunk, the issue is this. When you're drunk, you lose control, right? I mean, you lose control of the car. You lose control of all inhibitions. You do things that you would never do if you were being controlled by the Spirit. The, the, the issue here is, are you being controlled by the Spirit of God? And so if, if, you're in a, if you find yourself getting drunk, Listen, that's against the Word of God because we're, we're releasing control of the Spirit. We don't want to be controlled by that. We don't want to be controlled by another substance, a medication. I want to be controlled by the Spirit of God. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 19, speak to another one, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. This is a response of the light of Christ in my life. When I see somebody, the first thing I, 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 I want to see is, Boy, I'm so mad at him. I don't want that. Boy, I can't stand that person. Boy, they just drive me nuts. No, the first thing I want to I say is, Lord, bless you. Uh, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name. I, I want psalms to be on my heart. I want songs. I want to greet one another with the joyful thoughts of what God has done for us. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here it is. Let's let the light of Christ shine on us, purify us. As the, uh, uh, um, the golden lampstand would, would cut through the darkness of that tabernacle. Let's let Jesus Christ cut through the darkness of our sin and our mess. Let's invite his light, his love, and his justice, and in his holiness to invade my life and purify me. Let's refuse to only hold on to the revelation of his love, but let's also hold on to the revelation of his holiness and his justness. Yes, God loves you, but he also has come to purify you. 
Philippians 2.12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? With joy and peace? No, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Scott, what does that mean? That means that he's a holy God. And we, we can't mess around with sin in our life. We've got to repent and let the light of Christ expose that, and then we repent of it. It's like this. Let's say this is where you got saved. You gave your life to Christ. In fact, if you go to that quote from the Life Application Commentary, it says this, although believers are saved once for all when they accept Jesus Christ as Lord. We've talked about that. It is the grind of everyday life that salvation is worked out. I don't have time to apply this to the Philippians, but let me apply it to the Milbarians. So like when you gave your life to Christ right here, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. I repent of my sins. I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're coming to church. Spend a little time in prayer yourself. Spend a little time in scripture yourself. You join a life group. You're plugged in with other believers. And, 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 and now, now you find yourself serving others and there's this life. And all of a sudden, conviction, the light of Christ starts to convict you. You've been stealing from your, from your workplace. Oh, it was just a couple paper clips, a couple envelopes, or maybe a tool that you were planning on bringing back, but you never did. And all of a sudden you get here, it's like, whoa. All the way back here, the last thing on your mind was the fact that you were loading up your pockets with paper clips, envelopes, screwdrivers, whatever it is at your workplace. That's the last thing. You're just, God, I repent of all my sins. God, I thank you that you sent you one and only son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. You are saved. But as you grow closer and closer and closer, all of a sudden, he starts convicting you. There's a sanctifying work all the way back that you're saved, but now you're growing in your salvation. And he convicts you. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you were convicted When's the last time you let the light of Christ shine on you and convict you of, of sin, of something you know is sin, but you just were looking past it, but you heard and you listened and you responded as you grew in your relationship with Christ. That's what it's talking about in the grind of everyday life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know what, I want us to pray as we conclude here. Would you just stand with me, close your eyes.